Praise God. We're going to go ahead and continue this morning in our series of who we are as a church, the culture of who we are. And today's message, as Joseph already, Pastor Joseph already said, is, is uh, we are a people who walk by faith. Amen. I think the great theologian George Michael said it best when he said, you got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Oh, you got to have faith. <laughs> let's go ahead and pray this morning. Look at her. She's shaking her head back there. She's like, yes, let's pray for him. He needs it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just so you know, I know he's not a theologian. <laughs> that was a joke. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you for today. <laughs> we, th- <laughs> we thank you, Father, that you are a good God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we, as we uh, uh, take a look at your word this morning, Lord, that, that you would speak to us. And actually, Lord, we know that you're speaking to us. I pray that we would hear. Lord, that our hearts would be open, that we'd receive what you have for us. Even as we are talking about a a topic that many of us who have been Christians for a long time have heard about and been preached on about and studied about over and over and over. Father, I pray that this morning we would still have something new revealed to us. Give us revelation this morning, Father. And we just bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, today we're going to break down what it means to walk by faith. And faith is actually a pretty big topic. It's kind of hard to fit into a, a morning message. So I've allotted myself three and a half hours to preach this message this morning, just to make sure. I may not take it all, but up to three and a half hours. Hallelujah. I couldn't do this message last week because we had lunch together afterwards. But this week, we're not having lunch together, so I don't have to be concerned with your time. Hallelujah. <laughs> But today I want to break down what it means to, to walk by faith. We're going to talk about what actually is faith. Because um, how many know that there's a difference between faith when the world talks about it and faith when we talk about it in the church? You see, worldly faith is based on your experience. And if we don't experience something, then, oh, it can't be true. We only trust stuff that we experience, you know. This morning you, you walked in here, and, and right this very moment, you are, are uh, experiencing worldly faith. Not a one of you sat down on that chair this morning and wondered, is it going to hold me up? Because based on your experience, every time you sat down in the chair, it held you up. Except for me, I had one time that it didn't, and it was in a coliseum of people in Bisbee, and it was, it was totally embarrassing when the whole world saw me bust a plastic chair. Actually, Michelle sat on my lap. The back two legs popped out. She jumped up, and I'm laying on the ground. I can't get up. Looks like the fat guy broke the chair. But that's not even the worst part about it, because I went to get up, and it's a plastic chair on a concrete floor, and I put my hands down, and instead of lifting myself up, I'm just pushing myself around the floor. I couldn't get up. <laughs> Have anybody been in that Coliseum in Bisbee, the big brick? I was there in the middle of that. It was full of people. And I'm down there paddling around in a chair because I couldn't get up. But other than that, when I've sat down in a chair, it's, it's, it's stayed up. Hallelujah. But worldly faith is based on experiences. It's what we've gone through. It's what we've dealt through in life. But heavenly faith, faith in God, is not like that. It's not based on your experience. It's based on infallible truth. It's based on what God says. One of the things that we've been talking about in Bible study lately is how so many of us, when we study the Bible, we let our experience dictate what the Word of God is trying to say. When the truth is, it doesn't matter what your experience is, what, whether you like what you're doing, it's what the Word of God has to say, Amen. The next thing we're going to talk about is where does faith come from? And also, the big one, 
Because here's the thing about faith is that if you're going to put your faith in somebody, you need to know that they can be trusted. And God can be trusted. He is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. And then finally, we'll take a look at what faith looks like in your everyday life. So to get started off, we're going to define faith. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it people of old received their commendation. So we're going to look at a couple different definitions. This is the biblical definition, and I want to read to you what the uh, Webster's Dictionary defined faith as in 1982. This was two years after I was born. And it says, Faith, the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and it leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. I like that definition. That's a good one. That right there, now faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That, those two definitions match up. As of a couple years ago, you want to know what it says now? It says, belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. They somehow had it right and then messed it up several years later. Although that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, (laughs) There are so many definitions that have changed today. Most recently, the definition of racism has been changed in in the Webster's Dictionary based on on, uh, what people are saying. The Babylon Bee, which is a Christian satire site, just put up an article today and it says, Webster's has now changed the the definition of the dictionary uh, of freedom. And if you look up the word freedom now, it says, see slavery. <laughs> Obviously, that was satire. They didn't really do that. But it's, it's this idea that we're changing words left and right. It's always changing. But faith was once defined perfectly adequate in the Webster's Dictionary. But here it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This word assurance here, in other uh, translations, it's translated as substance or subsistence. So faith is actually the substance of things hoped for, or the subsistence is actually what, what makes these things exist. Your faith has power. It's the very foundation for which our hope stands on. One of the things we have to understand about hope, too, is the worldly definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope are completely different as well. Worldly definition of hope is like, I hope it won't rain tomorrow. Or, I hope my wife makes something delicious for dinner. It's the, when you hope for something in the world, there's the possibility of it not happening. It's, it's, it's a hope. It's a wish. It's a, you know, whereas biblical hope is firm. Our hope in salvation, we're not like, I hope we're going to be saved someday. Biblical hope has substance. Biblical hope is a sure thing, amen? And that's the thing, though. Without faith, hope is meaningless. Because we put our trust in those things. It's the very foundation. Faith is the very foundation on which our hope stands. It's the substance, the assurance of things hoped for. And it says it's the conviction of things not seen. You know, this is one of those things where, it's like what we were talking about earlier, where I said where we, we, we read the Bible and we let our experience dictate what is, what is the outcome. And one of the, my favorite stories is of, of the uh, widow that Elijah helped, and her son ends up dying in the field. And now she's upset because he'd already been saved once and then he, he, she had her son and then he, he went ahead and died not too long later and she starts storming down the field and she sees Elijah and Elijah cries out to her and says, is, is everything well with you? And what does she say back? It's all well. I don't know about you, 
But if my kid just died, that's not the uh, phrase that's coming out of my mouth. But that's what faith looks like. It's the assurance, the conviction of things not seen. She believed that God would do what he said that he would do. So whatever this was, whatever she was dealing with, even though her experience said her son was dead, it's the end, there's nothing for it. She trusted in something else. What if she had just believed her experience and not what the word of God had already told her? It says it's a conviction of things not seen. You know, and this is where we start to deal with this idea. Have anybody ever heard the expression blind faith? Anybody ever heard that expression used of Christians? Now, I got to be honest, I think blind faith is stupid. You shouldn't have blind faith. You shouldn't just always trust everything that you're told, everything that somebody says to you. Blind faith in the government, bad idea. And the truth is, with as much information as they share with us, any faith in the government, for the most part, seems to be blind. But the thing is, is that the blind faith is a scary thing. You don't want to walk up to a random stranger on the side of the road, give him your paycheck, and say, hey, you think you could put this in my bank account for me? Blind faith is a little bit scary. But the thing is, is that trust in God is anything but blind. When people say, man, you have blind faith, I think that's ridiculous. You know what? I think blind faith is ridiculous, but what I have in God is not blind. Matter of fact, faith in God is the sanest type of faith that you can have. And the reality is everybody has faith in something. Talked about this morning, you had faith in that chair. We talk about people put faith in the government. They put faith in their spouses. They put faith in their job, their bosses. People put faith in all kinds of things. The question is, is where are you putting yours? What is yours in? Is it in God or is it in yourself? We just had communion this morning. And one of the things that I always want to remind people is that when we do communion, it's not about you. Too many times we make community about, communion about us and how we're supposed to get right with God and we're supposed to do the right things and we put all this faith in ourselves. But the truth is, is that you're going to fail yourself. Trust in yourself is, is ridiculous. You should put trust in God and so Because we all have faith in something. But faith in God is the only thing that you can have assurance of. Amen. In Hebrews 11.6, it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now that we know what faith is, the, the next thing we have to understand is faith is how we please God. And this is kind of a, a scary one because uh, the opposite is true, right? If faith is how we please God, not having faith would be a displeasure to God, right? And we actually see that in Jesus, right? Every time somebody has faith, he marvels. You want to know the other time that he marvels? When people don't have faith. It just blows them away. Matter of fact, he got so upset one time, he says, how much, how much longer must I put up with this perverse and wicked generation? Why? Because they were perverse and wicked? No, he was upset they didn't have faith. That was the problem. So it says here, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that's one of the things that, that uh, particularly the Jews had to learn, and, and I think really us, just from a different angle, is that, that sacrifices and offerings are not what pleases God. Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offering and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. 
We're like, well, that makes sense for us today, right? We're not, but we're not offering bulls and goats. How does that apply to us today? But the problem is, is so many people base their religious life on, on their own sacrifices, like how much did I read my Bible or how much did I go to church today? Now, all those things are good, and you should be doing them, but those aren't how you please God. Those are things that we do as a result of a God that loves us. It's a response to his love for us and our faith in him. It's not, the, the, it's, it's not what, what saves us. It's not what makes us worthy. Doing those things is not what makes God uh, pleased with you. But it's your faith. The other things that don't please God is our good works. I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, your, your good works on your on their own are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6, we've all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Our, our good deeds on their own are, are actually, it seems to me, repulsive to God. This word, your polluted garment, it's actually talking about menstrual rags. This is not a, a good thing. These things are actually offensive to God, our good works on their own. The reality is, is that, and I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that good works are bad. It's, it's, it's the cart before the horse problem, right? If you're doing good works to please God, you've missed the boat. But if you are, are doing good works out of a response to what a good God has already done to you, because you've put your trust in him, and that's the reality of it. That's what it should look like. All of our good works should be a response to what he's done for us, not as some way to get in his good graces. Amen. And the reality is, is that all things are worthless compared to Christ. Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All things are worthless compared to Christ. And we all have things that we've tried to put in front to, to try to sneak our way. The truth is, is that our religious ceremony isn't going to cut it. There are so many things that, that I have had to give up in my life to follow Christ, and every single one of them is worth it. And I'm not talking simple things like, I can't go out, go out clubbing on Saturday night. That's not the things I'm talking about. I'm talking about I've lost friends because I decided to follow Christ. Because all of a sudden, one day I woke up and we didn't relate anymore. My best friend. I hardly ever see him anymore. Matter of fact, when I was growing up, um, my son called him Uncle Bentley. That's how close we were when I was growing up. And then one day, we just didn't relate the same way anymore. And our friendship, that's, that's one of the casualties of me deciding to give everything to God that has happened. And it's not that he did anything wrong or I did anything wrong. It's just what happens. Sacrifices are made. And while I miss him, I wouldn't trade it for Christ any day of the week. I would give up every friend for Christ. Amen? The thing is, is in comparison to Christ, nothing is worth it. And the things that please God is our faith. It's not religious ceremony. It's not, uh, not doing good or not doing bad. It's not, not sinning that's pleasing to God, not some sort of keeping of score. But the reality is, is that our trust in Him that is pleasing and we must believe that he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. Amen? Amen? And then in James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
So if you're going to put faith in something, you want to know that it's trustworthy. So the question is, if we're going to put our faith in God, is God trustworthy? Is he faithful? Should he receive our faith? Should he receive our trust? And here's what the scripture says, is that in him there's no variation or shadow due to change. So that's the problem in the world when you put faith in people. People let you down because they're not consistent. They'll say one thing and do another. Or they'll say one thing and do that thing so many times, but then on the, you know, the third time they do another. Men will let you down, but God never will. And we see his work in our lives. We see the evidence of his faithfulness. Now, we don't trust God because of what we see in our lives. That's just evidence of the, the reality of what the word says. Amen. And you don't have to look that far to see God's work either in your life or in the lives of others. And it's not just because you're blessed. I mean, that's a good thing, but that's not what I'm talking about. Me being blessed, well, I, I believe that it's because God is faithful and I put my trust in him and he's honored me and honored my faithfulness. Well, that's a good thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you knew who I was 20 years ago, then you would see evidence for God because I'm not the same man that I used to be. And I think if you looked in your own life, you'd probably see the same thing. One of my favorite quotes was from a pastor. His name was uh, Pastor Von Gerald. And uh, I'm not sure if he said it or if he was quoting somebody else, but I remember him preaching this. And he said, somebody came up to him and said, how do you know that you got saved? And he says, because I was there. <laughs> That's how I know I'm saved. I was there and I'm not the same person that I used to be. If you knew who I was, it would blow your mind. But the reality is, is that there is evidence of God in my life that he's faithful because of who I am today. I'm not who I used to be. And he is completely faithful and utterly trustworthy. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? When God says something, you can take that to the bank. When God says something, it's the truth. Whether or not our experiences line up with it or not. And that's the litmus test if something is faithful or reliable or trustworthy. The, 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 to determine if something is worth trusting, those are the questions we ask. Is it reliable? And if you've got a checklist with God, is, it re is he reliable? Check. Yes. Will he stand the test of time? Yes, why? Because there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then finally, I think one of the things when we're talking about people, if they're trustworthy, someone we can trust, we ask, do they love us? Once again, he gets a check. God is trustworthy, amen? So he's definitely worthy of our faith. But then the next question is, well, how do we get faith? And the thing is, is faith is actually more than just making a decision. I think that's the beginning of it. <laughs> but faith is more than that. And this is what uh, Romans ten seventeen says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing his word. It's from hearing over and over that he is trustworthy, that he is worthy, that he loves you. It's from when you read his word and you learn these things about him, faith begins to grow in him. And, and it's so important that we know where faith comes from because so many of us are wondering, well, how, do I, how do I get more faith? 
And the reality is, it's just like, do you remember when the, the, the boy was, was uh, possessed by a demon and the, the disciples couldn't cast him out and he kept throwing himself in the fire and, and once again, Jesus came down and what did he get upset about? The perverse generation that didn't have any faith. And he says, he says, uh, uh, he says Jesus, if, 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 you can, if you can take him out of him, will you do it? And he says, what do you mean if I can? If you can, tell the guy to have faith. And the thing was, is, is what did the guy say? I do believe Help my unbelief. You know, I think all of us go through different stages of faith in our life. I know for me, there's certain areas of my life where my faith is way up here. And other areas of my life where it's not so much. And I struggle in those areas to trust God. And, but if you want to have faith in those areas, begin to read the word in those areas. Begin to see what God says about it. This is what Dwight Moody once said. He was a preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, if you didn't know him. And he said, if all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. Now I now opened my Bible and began to read God's word. And faith has been growing ever since. If you want your faith to grow, you have to hear his word, spend time in his word, reading it, listening to it. And the truth is, is our faith doesn't grow because somebody tells us to believe. Our faith doesn't grow when we hear an amazing testimony. How many of you guys like amazing testimonies? There was this comedian that was talking about his life and he didn't have a very rough life and he had this, this guy come up and gave his testimony about I was an ex-drug dealer and he got rid of all the stuff in his life and Jesus came in and changed his life. And it's like, man, none of that stuff happened to me. I wish I was a drug, a drug addict. <laughs> the thing is, though, is it's none of those things produce faith in people. Your testimony will never get somebody saved. Your testimony will never produce faith in people. Now, they give us an opportunity to share the word which is what does, does what? Puts faith in people. It gives you an opportunity to share the word about the gospel, about, about how, how God loved them and gave us, and sent his son to give his life for them and that they're set free. You begin to share the word with them and that begins to produce faith inside of them and they can take that faith and put it in Jesus for salvation. Amen? Your testimony's not going to produce that. It just gives you an opportunity to share the word. And then faith that rests on the wisdom of men isn't faith at all. doesn't meet the criteria. Faith that it rests on the wisdom of man is just a brittle creation that can just be shattered apart. And if you don't believe me, look at how many uh, high-profile pastors and evangelists have fallen. And it's shaken the church underneath them. People have lost their faith because of what a man did. Because the problem was, is they went to church every Sunday to see a man instead of to seek God. Their faith was in the wrong thing. Faith in man is brittle. It's the reason I don't preach every Sunday. I don't ever want to be a church where people come to see me. You should be coming to see the word. I would hate to hear that because Pastor Wayne's not preaching, only half the people showed up. You're coming for the wrong reason if that's the case. And then one thing else we need to understand is that there's also an enemy of faith. In Matthew 13, 55 through 58, it says, this is not, 
Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And are not all the sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. That's the first mistake they made. But wait a minute, this guy's coming? He says that he's, a, he's, he's the son of God? This guy's coming? And, and actually we know that the reason they killed Jesus is because he was claiming to be God. So this guy's coming and, and Jesus comes and he says, listen, God sent me. I'm here to preach. I'm here to make a difference. And, and they didn't believe that he was who he says he was. Said, wait a minute, didn't we grow up with you? Didn't we? Has anybody ever experienced anything like this? I know for a long time, when I began to follow the Lord, my family thought I was just a phase or something. I, was, I don't know what it was. They, they didn't think it was going to stick. They knew who I used to be. They didn't know that I had been changed. And they didn't believe me. I said, wait a minute. What do you mean you're a Christian? Now, what do you mean you want to be a pastor? I know what you did two summers ago. There's no way you could do that. Now imagine you're Jesus, and his claims are even way more grandiose than I just want to be a Christian and a pastor. And they said, wait a minute, didn't you grow up here? Don't we know your brothers and your sisters and your mom? They didn't believe he was who he says he was, and what happened? It limited his ability to work in their lives. I don't think people understand that, that we have the ability to actually hinder what God's going to do in our lives by not trusting him. And that's what the word says. Peter stepped out on the water and he began walking on water. And then he began to sink. What, is, what does Jesus say to him? Where's your faith? What happened to your faith? Why did you doubt? You see, that's the thing, is the enemy of faith is unbelief. The moment we start to, to, to express unbelief, we start to see the negative come out. And sometimes, like Peter, we start out good. We have a bunch, we have strong faith. We're sticking with it. We're pushing through. And then something happens and we waver and we begin to sink. And that's one of those things. I mean, has anybody ever read the word and thought to themselves, man, if I had lived back then and saw all this stuff, saw everything Jesus was doing and saw the miracles, man, I would never doubt. Peter was there. He doubted. The truth is, is that when you lived, doesn't change. Matter of fact, we actually have it much better because we have it all recorded. They're going through it, figuring it out. We have it all recorded. We're in, we're in uh, with what we know, with what the word says, and historical, historically, we can know, look at the historical evidence, and it backs up everything that happened in the Bible. The historical evidence says that all this stuff happened. We are in a much better position now than they ever were back then. We have much more revelation now than they did. They were just being revealed. Now we've got 2,000 years of living it out and experience. We have the revelation and the experience and the evidence pointing to it. So don't ever say, if I lived in those times, I, I, I would have all kinds of faith. I'm just struggling now because I can't see it. It's all written down for you. Matthew 70, 20 says this. He said to them, because of your little faith, 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of, of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. It doesn't say in most things won't be impossible for you. It says nothing will be impossible for you if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed. Now, I think people misunderstand this verse all the time. I think when pe people read this and go, oh, it means if I just have a little bitty faith, I can do anything. I don't think that's what it's saying. It's not saying that if you have a little faith, you can move a mountain. It says if you have faith like a mustard seed. Well, what's a mustard seed do? Well, when it starts out, it's a little bitty, small, tiny seed. If you've ever seen one, they're, they're minuscule, they're tiny. But he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, well, what happens with a mustard seed? It starts out tiny. You've got to start with a little faith. You've got to start somewhere. But then you water it. You plant it. You nurture it, and you watch it grow. And when it grows, it's one of the largest plants. It starts out so tiny, and then birds can make nests in its branches because it's such a big plant. So I don't think it's saying that if you have a little bit of faith, you can, do, you can move mountains. You can do anything. What I think it's saying is that if you have your faith grow, and we already talked about how do you get your faith to grow? Spend time in the Word. You hear the Word, your faith will grow, and there'll come a point as your faith grows that nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 21, 21 says something similar. And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for tr uh, let me put the right one up. And Jesus answered to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith in what? Do not doubt. You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And you remember the story. This is the fig tree that, that uh, uh, Jesus cursed and it essentially just shriveled up and died. And that's a whole another story and too long to go into today. But they're asking him, Jesus, how did you do this? He says, listen, if you have faith and do not doubt, you have to have both because doubt, unbelief is the enemy of faith. You can say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. One of the things I want you to notice in this, though, it doesn't say ask God to throw the mountain into the sea. It doesn't say ask. So many people, when they're praying for stuff, they're like, Lord, would you please heal this person? Or Lord, would you please let this happen? Oh, God, if you could just make... And then they start to, you know, to negotiate. God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. The Word doesn't ever say to do anything like that. It says, you say to the mountain... The problem is, is that we got to stop telling our, our, our God about our problems, but start telling our problems about our God. You begin to speak to your problems. You cast it into the sea. Begin to speak in faith. And it says, if you have faith and do not doubt, if you say to a mountain and be taken up and be thrown into the sea, that's what will happen. Now, I think that our faith has to grow to get to that point, right? The mustard seed example, you know, if you're a fresh believer, born-again believer, you may or may not be. Man, the truth is, if you've been a believer for a long time, if your faith hasn't grown in the whole time you've been a believer, you're going to have struggle with some things. So just make the decision today to make a change. Spend time on the Word. Let your faith grow. And put your trust in Him. Amen? This is what Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who lived, who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> the foundation of our Christian life should be the reality that, that we live by faith in Jesus Christ. How we live our life. 
Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, obviously, none of us were physically crucified with Christ, so how were we crucified with him? By faith. We put our trust that, that Jesus took our place on that, Christ, on that cross. And being crucified with him, what that, what that means is that we traded places by faith. He died the death we should have died, and we get to live the perfect life that he lived. Amen? And because of that, by our faith, what he says there, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. By this faith, we are made brand new. Our old life has passed away. It was crucified with Christ. We are justified. We are holy. We are perfect. We are pure, and we are redeemed. That is a, a spiritual fact. The moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The problem is, is now we have to live that out. And we live that reality out by faith. By trusting that God did what he said he was going to do. And as a result of that, as a response to what God did, we can now live those things. That's why sometimes it takes a while. And I've known people that got saved and their life was miraculously changed for them. In a moment, they, they quit smoking, cussing, all that stuff. And they were just like, God did a miracle. Didn't happen like that for me. It was a slow burn. It took some time, but every day I was getting a little bit better. And even today, every day I get a little bit better. I grow a little bit more. I am, I am living out a life that is more holy than it was yesterday. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's on the way to looking like what has actually been done spiritually inside of me. Faith is how we step out into what God has said of us. And even if our soul, you know, you have a, you have a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Even if your soul tells you something different, or you might hear it as your heart tells you something different. Right? The, the Bible says that we shouldn't trust our heart because your heart will deceive you. So even if your, 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 your soul tells you something different, faith is how we step in up to what God says of us. He says you're holy, even though your mind says, I don't know. You know what I did last night? doesn't matter. God says you're holy. Even if our friends and family tells you something different, even if our past tells us something different, even if the devil accuses you of something different, it's by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us that we can live that out. It doesn't matter what all these things say to us. It's what God says that is true. Amen? And that's the reality as Christians. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's our response to some of those things. That's why when we get prayed for healing and you wake up the next morning and you're still dealing with it, it doesn't matter. You just believe what God says. And you continue to speak the word of God over that area. Because there's a reality that, that many people don't understand, but there's a difference between truth and facts. You see, truth is constant. It never changes. Facts do. And if you've ever heard these people say, oh, this is my truth, there's no such thing as your truth. We can't have different truths. By definition, there is only one truth. And here's the thing is, is the fact is, is that I might be sick today, but the truth is I've been healed by his stripes. The fact is, is that I may have lost my job today and I don't know where the money for my rent or food is going to come, but the fact is, is that God will supply your needs according to his riches. 
or the truth is, the fact is I feel alone, but the truth is, is that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And the fact is I feel unclean, but the truth is, is that I am redeemed in Christ. We have to understand the difference between facts and truth. And what God says is true, and that's what we put our trust in. Even if it doesn't look like it on the outside, we put our trust in him. That it's true because he said it. And because of this, we can have victory in this world. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome our world, our faith. If you want to have victory in your walk, you need to have faith. Because the world is always knocking and temptation is everywhere. You can't, I mean, it's not even hidden anymore. Temptation is up on the billboards, loud and proud. It's on your commercials. It's on the internet. Temptation is everywhere. The, the world is knocking. So how do you overcome these things? How do you overcome everything that's against us? And you do it by your faith. It's by faith that we're healed, by faith that we are victorious, by faith that we are more than conquerors, it's by faith that we're loved. But you know, you have to have faith to believe that God loves you. It's by faith that we are forgiven. And it's by faith that we are saved. You know, one of the common things today that's going on in the world is people say, you know, you just got to believe in yourself if you want to be successful. Anybody ever heard that? All the self-help people? You just got to believe in yourself if you want to be successful. If you want to do well. I don't know, I say stop believing in yourself and start believing in God. Believe in what He has accomplished inside of you. Too many people transfer that to the Christian world. Oh, I just believe in myself. I can live right enough. I can do enough good things. I'm basically a good person. When I get to heaven, the scales will tip in my favor. But as we talked about a couple Sundays ago, many people underestimate the weight of that sin. And there's not enough good to overcome the weight of one's, and you can't do it yourself. You've got to put faith in what he did for you. So if you'll stop believing in yourself and start trusting in Jesus Christ, then you'll be successful. Then you'll be victorious. Amen. And I think the best way to learn what it looks like to live a life of faith, this is, this is what uh, Jesus said here. Oh, I didn't read the last part. I read it out loud. Anyway, truly I say to you, Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke 18, 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children are a perfect example of faith. And the reason is, is because children put their unfettered trust in their parents. Have you ever seen a kid up on the top level of like a jungle gym or something, and the dad says, jump. What's the kid do? Without even thinking, <laughs> off the edge. Why? Because they know their dad's going to catch them. They know that their dad's going to trust them. And the truth is, is the children rely on their parents for everything. I remember the day that this, my eye was really open to this was one day when Blake was a, was a little boy. He came up to me with a toy that had been broken. And he shows it to me. He says, Dad, fix this. And I looked at it, and it wasn't like he popped something. It was broken. Like, I don't know what happened to it, but there is no way that I'm fixing it. And I looked at it and said, I'm, I'm sorry, son. I can't fix this. And he looked me right in the eyes. He said, yes, you can. 
that's childlike faith. Like, he had no doubt that I could fix this thing. And that was the first day he stopped believing in me because I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. <laughs> but that's okay. He doesn't need to put his trust in me. He needs to put his trust in Christ. Amen. And I'm so grateful that that's what he's doing. But children rely on their parents for everything. Now think about this. A young child, they need help putting their clothes on. They need help cleaning. They need help being fed. They need help getting to places. They need guidance. They need direction. If they want to know how to do something, they go to their parents and ask for help. This is what our lives should look like. That's what childlike faith looks like is everything is reliant on him. We ask him for everything. We trust him for everything. If you live your life like that, then you're living a life walked by faith. Amen. Just like without their parents, children can do nothing. Without God, we can do nothing. What time is it? Oh, man. We might actually be here three and a half hours. Matthew 15, 25 through 28. says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. This is another example of faith. And he answered him, is it, not right to, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Why was her faith so great here? What was it about her faith that Jesus thought was so great? It's because she believed that Jesus could do something even when everything else was saying otherwise. The disciples were saying, get her out of here. She's saying that, no, you can help me. And even Jesus says, no, but I'm not going to do it. But she believed something different. She trusted that Jesus could make a difference and she, at some level, she must have had an understanding of who he was that was different than everybody else's. She knew that he could do it, and she put her trust in him. Everyone else thought he was a carpenter. Everyone was telling her to go away. She couldn't be there. Jesus is saying, hey, you're not even a Jew. I'm not here for, for, for anyone but the Jews right now. But she persisted, believing that he could do it. And he says to her, oh, woman, Great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. Another example, Luke 7, 6-9, And Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house. And the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You see, this was a man who understood authority. When he spoke, he expected to be listened to. When he spoke, whatever he said to get done, he expected to have done. He expected to be obeyed. And he never wondered, even for an instance, that if he spoke to one of his soldiers, I wonder if he's going to do what I asked him to do. Because he knew that when he spoke, it would get done. And when Jesus hears this exclamation, he says, listen, I'm a man under authority. When I speak, it gets done. So I know that if you speak, it'll get done. All you have to do is say it. And here's the thing, church, is that 
we are men and women under authority. We are men and women under the authority of Jesus Christ. And if you're under authority, you can be given authority, which we have. We have been given authority. I believe it's at the end of the book of John, it says that, that, that uh, uh, greater things than these we will do also. And it's not about greater as in magnitude. I think it's greater as in amount over the course of history. We will be doing a greater amount of things than Jesus did as he walked this earth. But it's by our faith because we are under authority. We can speak with authority. We can speak in faith. And notice the understanding of authority and the exercising of authority is, is equivocated to walking in faith, to having faith. And the same goes for us. It's just like when Jesus said, if you speak to this mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea, it'll be cast into the sea. Why? Because you've been given authority to command even the mountains. Amen? Then we'll go ahead and end here today. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. One of the last things that I want to talk about today when we're talking about faith, dealing with faith, is understanding that having faith is not always about instant gratification. Sometimes you have to trust and keep trusting and keep trusting and keep trusting in order to see that faith walk itself out, the, to see that, that what you had faith in materialize. And the truth is, what he's talking about here, to show the same earnestness, have the full assurance of hope unto the end, so you may be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. If you remember, he's actually talking about a bunch of people that died in their faith and never received the promise while they were living. That's some kind of patience right there. So many people start in faith and they trust and they trust and then they wait sometimes a few hours sometimes a few days sometimes a few months maybe even a couple years but at some point they feel exhausted they feel like maybe this isn't what god wants maybe it's never going to happen and they they stop having faith they give up and it's much like if you were to take a a seed and plant it in a cup and cover it with soil and you water it and the first day nothing changes you just see soil water it again and the next day you see nothing the soil still undisturbed so you water it again and after a couple days you're like what is going on i'm doing all the right things put the seed in the cup put good soil i'm doing the, i'm doing all the things and you get frustrated and you give up you know what i'm just going to dig it up and see what's happening and then you dig it up and you you realize as soon as you tear that seed out of the earth that if you would have just waited one more day the sprout would have come through the surface so many people get the faith part but they don't match it with the patience part most of the time that we don't receive i believe is because we give up we look in the, in the Bible, those people that have believed for so long, Noah, 
believe for 120 years. Can you imagine that? God says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the earth flood. You need to build a boat. And you're like, man, this is crazy. I better get to work. You start building the boat, and it's been a year, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it hasn't happened yet. I'm not done yet. I've got some more work to do. But, but uh, uh, man, I expected to see something by now. Imagine 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. At what point do you think if you were no, you'd be like, well, maybe this really isn't going to happen. Maybe I misheard. Maybe I ate something bad for dinner that night, and whatever I heard from God, it was, it was just indigestion. 120 years until it rained. That's, that's a lot of patience, believing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. What about Abraham? It was 25 years before he saw the promise fulfilled. Matter of fact, <laughs> he almost dug his up. He got so, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to help God out. Obviously, Sarah's not working out. Let me bring in the, the, the servant and, and we'll, we'll just give God a hand. Anybody ever tried to give God a hand? Don't. Every time we try to give God a hand, you know what happens? It just puts a, a kink in, in the road. It just causes a mess. Now think about how much trouble the descendants of Jacob caused the Israelites throughout the years. What if Abraham wouldn't have tried to take things into his own hands? I wonder what the landscape would look like now. Would it, how much different would it be? See, so many times we try to give God a hand and we just mess things up. But he believed it was 25 years before that promise came to fruition. And we'll end, this is what James says in James 1.3. Says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, that's one of the things we need to understand that sometimes the, the, when we put our trust in something, the re results are instantaneous. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, instantaneously you are made pure, righteous, holy. You are forgiven, you are free. That's a spiritual reality the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Like I said, sometimes it takes a while for our bodies to catch up with that reality. But that is a spiritual reality. That's instantaneous, the moment you put faith. But other things, you have to keep on believing. You have to have that testing of your faith, which is going to produce steadfastness. Essentially, you need to work out that faith muscle. If you want it to ever get bigger than a mustard seed, it has to be worked out. It has to grow. Amen. So that's the one thing that I, I, I hope you got from this today. You understand what faith is, where it comes from, what it looks like. And I would just encourage us is that that's the culture of who we are. We live by faith. And, and church, I would encourage each and every one of you to begin living your life by faith if you're not already. If you are already, continue doing so. And I know for me, I like to, to think that I'm living my life by faith, but every day I want to do it more and more and more. There is no end point. There is no end game. If Paul says, I'm not perfect yet, then I'm going to assume that neither am I. So I'm just going to go ahead and keep on pressing on, moving forward. And, and church, that's who we are. We walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.